Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody. Anybody here have family in Florida? Okay, are they okay? Okay, most everybody's good. All right, just checking. Let's pray before we get started here. Father, we thank you so much for today and our time together to come and worship you. But Father, we do want to lift up those that are in Florida. Father, I pray that uh, everyone is safe. I pray that everyone has got, gotten out of there. And Father, if, uh, if it is in your power, Father, you can slow that storm down and that hurricane down. Father, we know you can. But Father, we uh, pray for those right now, even for Harvey, for all the folks that have been uh, flooded out of their homes. We pray for them as well. And Lord, we just continue to lift all of them up to you. And Father, we ask that you fill this place with your spirit. Father, and guide me in my words. Father, and let us just, Father, use your word, Father, as an outline. Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to jump right on in here. 64 verses. 64 verses. That's how many verses Paul uses to explain the unrighteousness of man. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, this is going to be a fun one. But 64 verses, Paul says, and explains to man, explains to us what unrighteousness of man is. In Romans 1, 18 to 3, 20, you don't have to turn there, but I want to give you just a few of the descriptive words that Paul uses. Words like ungodliness to describe us, unrighteousness without excuse, foolish hearts, impurity, debased minds, Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, faithless, heartless, ruthless, none is righteous, no, not one, no one seeks for God." You might say that those are some pretty serious things to describe mankind. This is not one of those things that you read in a devotional, obviously. This is not something you wake up to and go, I can't wait to read about myself and how unrighteous I really am. But Paul wants his listeners to feel the weight of sin. He wants them to feel the weight of sin, the crushing blow that sin offers up. Why does God do such a thing? Why does God want us to see our sin like this? Does he want us to feel bad about ourselves? Because heaven forbid if anybody ever feels bad or offended about anything today. We are the most offended people in the world right now. We are offended about everything, right? How many of you are offended right now? Some of you are offended right now, I know. Some of us are offended right now about something, okay? We are. But here's how I answer that. God wants us to see how far we are from him. He wants us to see how far we are and to realize our need of a Savior. Because let me just tell you this, that mankind needs to be saved. Mankind needs to be saved. He says in Romans 2, 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Do you notice he says you're not storing up happy thoughts? 
you're not storing up good things. He says that you're storing up wrath. And all that wrath is coming from when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. No, it's not happy. I know that. But here's what we can do with stuff like this. We can try to suppress the truth, right? Please don't tell me the truth. Please don't tell me those types of things. I don't want to hear those things, right? We can suppress it or we can, we can just kind of, you know, hear it and just kind of go, oh, no, no, it's not, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of that. We can suppress it. We can try to do good. We can try to do good works. We can try to be a nice person. We can try to be good to others. We can try all these things of trying to, how I can be good. Or we can even try or start going to church, perhaps. You know, we can start doing rel- religious activities. You know, we're starting to do things for Harvey, and we're, try- you know, we're trying to collect stuff for Harvey, and we're trying to do all— th- You know, we can do these religious activities. You can come to church every Sunday and sing the songs and read your Bible. We can do all these things. Anything to suppress it. Anything to show us, hey, I, I don't want to deal with the sin in my life. Anything to take away the, the sting of sin. We need some way to be made right in the sight of God. We need some way to be made right. What can we do to be right? Is there anything that I can do, anything that you can do, that you can be right with God and that I can be right with God? Well, according to Romans 1, 18 to 320, people don't even seek after God. If I'm not seeking after God, if I'm not doing anything, then what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, maybe I can try to keep God's law. Maybe I can just try to keep his law. You know, I'll do the Ten Commandments. I'll, I'll do everything that it says in the Ten Commandments. I'll try to do my very best. But Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Imagine that for a moment. Because you read the law, because we look at the law it reminds us that we, we cannot hold up to those standards. It reminds us that says, hey, you can't do this. You ever notice how many speed limit signs there are? They're there to remind us of what? Don't speed, right? Don't speed. Do we speed? But it's only five miles over, so it's okay. Right? It's only five miles over, so it's okay. But in Carrierville, they stop you if you're two miles over. It happens. So in Romans 3.20 says, hey, God is showing you this law, and he says, By the knowledge of the law, by seeing this law, you know that you're a sinner. It is the law that proves that mankind cannot live up to his standard. We cannot live up to his standard. So how can a person be right with God, then, you ask? The answer to that question is in Romans 3, 21 to 26. But before I read this passage, I want to just give you a little insight just about what scholars have said about this particular passage. One scholar by the name of Dr. Leon Morris, he says it this way about this particular passage. He says, it is possibly the most important single paragraph 
ever written. Now, when scholars say stuff like that, that this is the most important paragraph ever written, this should be something that we listen to. This should be something that we put inside of our hearts and our minds. Look what John Piper says about this particular passage. He says, if you build your life on these verses, if the truth of these verses becomes the foundation of your life, he says, you will be unshakable in a hundred crises. If these verses become the sun in the solar system of your life, all your planets will orbit in harmony around the will of God. But if you put these verses out on the rim of your life, say near Neptune or Pluto, he says, you need not be surprised if there is confusion and uncertainty and fear and weakness in your life. There are some truths that are so foundational and so central that you should memorize them, meditate on them, bind them in your, in your mind and your heart with chains and ropes and every kind of adhesive you can find. Many professing Christians are very weak and amble through, through their days pretty much like unbelievers because they don't hold on to their, these verses the way a drowning man takes hold of his rescuer's arms. You might say that this is pretty serious stuff. Now, I did not, you know, when, when Dan said, hey, I need you to preach, well, I did not go, ooh, I'm going to do this. Was not thinking about it. I just went into the Lord God's word and said, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? And he led me to this for some particular reason. And it's because, I, th- I believe it's because we're going to see something today and how God initiates salvation for mankind. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There was, this was to show God's righteousness because his, his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In these six verses, we see how a person, how a sinner, can be made right with God. Four times he, we see the phrase here, he uses the phrase, the righteousness of God, or a, a reference to his righteousness. And when you see the righteousness of God in this context, it is referring to God's work in salvation. That he takes the initiative. In order to be right with God, salvation must occur. And in that salvation, God imparts his righteousness to those that are saved. What does that mean exactly? That means right now, as a non-believer... You are not righteous. You are not right in the sight of God. But then what God does through Jesus Christ, he gives us his righteousness. It was, it's given to us, those that believe. 
So therefore, God sees us as righteous. So how does God initiate salvation then? What does God have to do to make this happen? Look at Romans 3.21. He tells us, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. How does he do it? How does he initiate salvation? Number one, first of all, God's righteousness is evident in the Scriptures. God's righteousness is evident in the Scriptures. The word there for manifest in Romans 3.21 means to be evident that God has shown himself through his word. He's also shown himself through creation. We know that. See, that is all what is... this is all what is meant here, what God is, Paul is trying to say here, when Paul says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. John MacArthur says it this way, the Mosaic laws were not given as a means of achieving righteousness, but of describing God's righteousness and showing the impossibility of man living up to it. That's what God's law was for. So when you read the Old Testament and you see how many times the Jewish people have failed to meet God's standard, now you know why. They couldn't live up to it, and neither can any of us. Now you may be thinking that God's standard is too high. You may be thinking that God wouldn't make it so hard on us like that. There's got to be another way. Well, in Isaiah 55, 8, In the New Living Translation, he says this, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. How many times have we read the Bible and we go, how is God doing this, or how is this even possible? Or better yet, how many times do we do this? I don't agree with this one. I don't agree with God's saying here. And you point your finger at God and say, I don't agree with what God is doing here. This is wrong for God to do this. Has anybody ever done that? Of course we have. It's hard to read this and go, how can he do such a thing? I'll tell you why. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. You might say that God can do whatever he wants because he's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of everything. So if you want to know God's way, you must know his word. You must know the Bible. And God has made his righteousness known through his word. You want to understand salvation. Let me just tell you what it does. It points to Jesus Christ. The word of God points to Jesus Christ every single time. So the first thing that God does to initiate salvation is that he shows us himself in the scriptures. But number two God's righteousness built a bridge of salvation. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see how God initiates salvation here? Do you see what God is doing here? He builds a bridge that we can cross. To understand salvation and receive salvation, we've got to understand 
these building blocks that he builds, this, this part of the bridge that he builds. Look what it is, the first one. Our, one, it must be this. We must have faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. You can work. You can do all these things to try really, really hard. But God says the only way to salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, who's salvation for? Is it for all of us that think we're really, really spiritual? Is it for all those that think we're pretty good? Well, according to Romans 3.22, it's for all who believe. That's why he says in Romans 4, 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And he says here, That salvation is for all who believe, for there is no distinction. What is meant by there is no distinction at the end of verse 22? Read it like this. For there is no distinction. And then go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me just say this. Thank goodness God does not go, oh, I think he's good, and I think she's good, he's good, and he's all right. And no, no, you know what he does? This is what he does. You ready for this? He goes, none of you are good. None of you are good. Now, I know that's not a very, you know, politically correct thing to say in church today, but I'll say it again. None of you are good. Okay? I'm not good. You're not good. Nobody's good here. Now, some of you look nice, and you dress good, but it doesn't mean that this thing right here is right. It doesn't mean that it's good. Has anybody ever sinned? Raise your hands. Thank you. The rest of you who didn't, good luck. See, this is God's way of saying, don't forget you're a sinner. This is God's way of saying, don't forget that you are a sinner and that you need saving. See, in God's eyes, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. So there's, so the way God does it, he goes, okay, since everyone is a sinner, then something must happen. God initiates the salvation, and he builds this bridge, and he goes, okay, first thing you need to understand is that it is faith alone in Christ. It is faith alone in Christ Jesus. But then there's the second part of the bridge in Romans 3.24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Second part is that we are justified. Fifteen times in the book of Romans, he says this. This means that God declares us righteous. That he, he looks at us, he looks at those that believe in Jesus Christ, and he goes, hey, you are now righteous. You are now right with God. So faith in Christ alone makes a sinner right with God. You may ask yourself, did I do something? Did I do something to deserve salvation? Is it because I went to church? 
Is it because my parents are believers? Is it because I've been going to Central or I've been going to church all my life that clearly God saw that and goes, I think he should be saved? No. According to Romans 3.24, we are justified, we are made right by his grace as a gift. And that's the third part of the bridge. God pours his grace, the undeserved favor, on to sinners. That's why Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God initiated salvation for us while we were sinners. And it is a gift. Grace is a gift. God saves people knowing they are sinners. Imagine that for just a moment. God knows that we sin. He knows that we've done wrong. He knows that we can't keep the law. And he goes, I'm going to save you anyway. Imagine that. How many times when someone does something wrong to you, you completely discard them and move them out? Anybody ever done it? Yes, we have. Typically what we do as humans is someone does something wrong to us or to whoever, immediately, typically, instead of trying to make it right with them, we discard them. Imagine if God, every time you sin, just said, you know what, forget it, you're done. That's not how God works. That is not how God works. God saves people knowing that they are going to sin and that they are sinners. And God shows his grace towards sinners as a gift. The fourth part of the bridge is this in Romans 3.24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption means to pay for something or to buy it back. That's what that means. It's God's buying a sinner to free him from sin. I want to tell you a little story here that I found. I thought it was very appropriate for this. It's a story of a boy and his two birds in a cage. The boy captured two little birds. He grabs them and he puts them in this cage and he, he carries them around town and he shows everybody his birds that are in a cage. And a man saw the boy with the birds and he says, Son, what are you doing with those birds? And the boy replied, No hesitation. Well, I'm going to play with these birds for a while. But then after I'm bored of them, I'm going to feed them to my cat. Yeah. So the man looks at the birds in the cage, looks at them with pity, and the man said, hey, I want to buy these birds from you. I want to buy the birds. I want to buy the cage. I want to buy everything that's in there, everything. What is your price? What can I pay for them? So the boy thought for a moment, and he gave his price. And the man said, absolutely, I'll pay it, whatever it is. And the boy handed over the cage to the man. Immediately, as the man is walking away, he opens the cage, the, 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 uh, he opens up the, the little door there for the birds, and he sets the birds free. Church, this is a picture of redemption. This is what it's like. 
we are the birds that are caged. We are the birds that are going to be fed to the cat. We are the birds that don't have a chance unless someone redeems us. Someone has to redeem us. See, this is mankind's fate without a redeemer. Christ is our redeemer. He saves us from our sins, from a spiritual death. He saves us. That's why we see in Ephesians 1.7, in him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we see God's salvation, his initiation, how, how he initiates salvation through, his, through the scripture. We see it, how he builds a bridge of salvation. But thirdly, God's righteousness is seen in his justice. Look at Romans 3, 25 and 26. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the, who, of the one who has faith in Christ or in faith in Jesus. See, God, being a righteous judge, must demonstrate his justice. He is a judge sitting at the podium going, I've got to make things right. I've got to do the just thing. How can a holy God see sinners as righteous? If we've done nothing to do anything right, if God sees us and says, hey, you're all sinners, what does he do? God puts forward his son, Jesus Christ, is what he does. Jesus Christ takes the place of you. Jesus Christ takes the place of me. He takes the place of a sinner that for surely he's going to be put to death, but Jesus comes into our place. That's what happens. Jesus is in our place now. He put Jesus as his only son, it says here, as a propitiation. That word means that God's anger was satisfied through sacrifice of his own son. It was a sacrifice that takes away God's wrath. And it cost us nothing. It cost us nothing. The salvation that you are enjoying today and that I'm enjoying today cost me nothing. It cost us nothing. And isn't it interesting how we live in a society that feels like we can buy everything, but the one thing we cannot buy is our salvation. The one thing that we cannot do is have enough merit and have enough anything to actually have salvation. It's through Jesus Christ's blood. But you can see just how great his sacrifice was. It says here in verse 25 that he passed over former sins. Whose former sins? Anyone before Christ. God withheld his judgment so Christ would take the punishment. Think about that for a moment. What could have God done if he wanted? He could have just destroyed everything, but he doesn't. He was patient until Christ would come. Romans 3.26, that it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God would use the cross to show his justice. We deserve the death. That would have been the just thing to do. 
that would have been the right thing to do. Instead, his justice was poured out on his only son, Jesus Christ. And because of his grace and his mercy, he allows us to go free when we put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You can be right with him. You can be right with God, but understand that he initiates that salvation. He initiates it. Can I just tell you that accept his salvation today because there's time. Now, many of us have probably been watching what's going on with all the hurricanes, I would imagine. <clears throat> we're watching Hurricane Irma, and we're, we're, we're trying to track it, and, you know, the meteorologists are watching it and all this stuff. Isn't it amazing, though, that we have the technology to tell you where a hurricane is and to warn people and say, get out. To warn people and say, something is coming that is bad. Something is coming, and it's going to destroy the land. Something is coming, and it could kill you. We have the technology to do that. Look what God has. God has his word. God has this, this bridge that he builds for us. He has this Jesus Christ to go, hey, I'm letting you guys know. I'm letting mankind know that there's a way to salvation. I'm letting you know. Because he says there is no excuse if you miss it. There is no excuse if you miss it. No excuse. He said it is evident. It is there. God has shown us the way of salvation. It is through his son, Jesus Christ. And only through his son, Jesus Christ, are you saved. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by this. Father, we could not initiate salvation for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Father, only you can save us. And Lord, we get to enjoy, Father, this grace. We get to enjoy your love that you have poured out on us, Lord. We thank you for that. But Father, I pray for those that are here today, Lord, that may be questioning their salvation, may be wondering about their salvation. I pray for those today. Father, that you would work on their hearts. Begin to, begin to draw them to yourself right now. Father, thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who shed his blood so that mankind can be saved, that whoever would believe in him, Father, would have eternal life. Thank you for your salvation, Jesus. Thank you. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.